Good morning. Great to see you this morning. Glad that we're here together in worshipment. Thanks, band, for getting us off such a strong start. That was fantastic. Uh, when I think about things that are true or truths that have been taught to me, I go back to early childhood and think of memories of things my parents said. Like, we were a big work-before-you-play household, you know, no fun until the work is done. You know, dad was work before we play. Dad also said, oftentimes, patience is a virtue. Now, he often said that when he was impatient or frustrated, and it was like his mental track of that truth of like, we've got to be patient. Patience is a virtue. My mom would say, sugar cereal should only be eaten on Saturday mornings. That was a truth in our household. I'm not kidding. You could only have Fruit Loops on a Saturday morning, never during the week. And I held on to that as truth for a long time, like a lot longer than I even believed in Santa Claus even. It was true. You could only eat sugar cereal on Saturday mornings until I had a sleepover at Tyler's house one summer night on a Thursday. And Friday morning, Tyler's mom said, would you like some cinnamon toast crunch for breakfast? And all of a sudden, I felt my heart racing. I was in a predicament. I'm like, on a Friday? <laughs> like, will I be struck by lightning? I mean, I had hopes and dreams for my life. I one day wanted to get married and have kids. Was I going to trade it all for a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch in that very moment? And my palms were sweating. And instead of putting them together, praying, lead me not to temptation. No, I wrapped them around a spoon and started shoveling cinnamon toast crunch in my mouth as fast as I could. And spoiler alert, I survived. And I told mom, did you know that Tyler's house, they can have sugar cereal any day of the week? And that's when I realized that she had pulled one over on me. And that sugar cereal could be eaten on a weekday. And I said, well, why can't we have it that way too? And she said, nope, what's true for them isn't going to be true for us. You can still only eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch on Saturday. And I said, that's not fair. And to any good parent in the room, you know what my mom's reply was? Life's. That's right. We got some good parents in the room. I can hear. Okay. Actually, my mom said, if you want fair, go to Des Moines for 10 days in August. They have fair there. <laughs> and based upon your attendance here this morning, you might not be interested in fair. <laughs> unless you're online driving to Des Moines right now. Anyway, what's truth, Right? What, what makes something true in your life? What are some things that you've perhaps built your life on as truth? And how do you know that it's true? How can we know what is, is true in our lives? Is something true just because it works? Pragmatism? You know, what works for me may not work for you or works now may not work later. When I was in junior high, I was busted cheating on a math test. And after school, I had to go to my math teacher's classroom and talk about what I'd done and figure out the plan. And she said, Ben, why did you cheat on your test? And I said, it worked last time. <laughs> you see the problem here with pragmatism. Well, is something true just because it feels right? Subjectivism? But we're fickle. And maybe what we like today, we don't like tomorrow. When I met Liz, her favorite color was green. Years after we got married, she told me that her favorite color had now been updated to red. Do I even know her anymore? These subjective truths, really, 
they're wishy-washy and, and change from time to time. Well, something true just because it's my truth and what I say is true and works for me and you say what's true works for you and we just go along with what our own truths are. And if I play this scenario out, I just can't stop thinking of how every single day would look like Woodstock 99 with all of us living out our own truths. So you see also where the relativism may fall short. But how do we know what's true? How can we find absolute truth? I believe we have to deal with the claims of Jesus when it comes to truth. And whether you follow Jesus or not, or, or maybe you've been following Jesus and you're kind of going through some hard times or reconsidering some things, if it's worth still following Jesus, I still believe we have to look at his claims, his life and claim of being truth, and then look at it and how it applies to our lives. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to read Jesus' claims about being truth in John 18 and part into chapter 19. And this is when he is standing trial before Pontius Pilate. It's a very heavy interaction here that we're going to get into in this part of Scripture from John's journaling here. What happens is Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning, and he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them, and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. Now, time out. The accusers are these Jewish priests. And they aren't allowed to go in the house of a non-Jewish person, a, a Gentile, because it will make them ceremonially unclean. And to become clean, again, it's not just taking a shower. It's like a 10-day, two-week process to become restored clean to then be able to go into the temple or celebrate Passover. And so even though these Jewish church leaders, these priests, are pursuing the murder of an innocent man, they, they are upholding the law, though, of not going into a Gentile's house. And so what happens is Pilate, the governor, goes out to them and he asks, what's your charge against this man? Well, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Well, then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told them. Only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied, and this fulfilled the prediction of how Jesus would die. And Pilate went back into the headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. Now, Pilate's purpose for this question is selfishly motivated because with him as the governor, he's in charge. And if anyone else is claiming to be king, well, then that's treason, that's a crime, and, and Pilate has to stamp that out and deal with it. So he's trying to figure out what Jesus is, is doing here. Is, is he claiming to be king? And Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about Am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, So you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize 
that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. And this is a predicament for many people in politics. I mean, to Pilate, truth was whatever is going to keep him elected or keep him in power. It changed from day to day. And he's standing in front of Jesus. God in a bod, the personification of truth, right there. And Pilate is confused. He doesn't even realize him. He's staring in the eye and he's saying, what, what is truth? And then he went out to the people and he told them, he's not guilty of any crime, but you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. So would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But they shouted back, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. And Barabbas was a Jewish man. He was a revolutionary because he tried to overthrow the Roman government. He committed murder along the way. And that's what landed him in prison. So they said, don't set Jesus free. We want Barabbas. And Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put a purple robe on him. Hail, king of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. And Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly, I find him not guilty. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here is the man. And when they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. And the Jewish leaders replied, By our law he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. Now at this time, church and state were truly 100% separate. And that's what these Jewish leaders are saying. By our own church law that we get to govern over, he is guilty of blasphemy, which means he should die for that claim that, that he's God. But, but by the Roman law, the, the government, it's treason because he's claiming to be a king. And he's calling himself the son of God, so he should die. And Pilate hears this, and he becomes more frightened than ever, and he takes Jesus back into the headquarters again and asks them, where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And Jesus said, you'd have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. And Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, If you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. Ever felt the pressure to perform on the job? To do a certain thing that maybe you know isn't right, but the expectations... Of, of moving forward is what you need to do to be able to keep your job, or so you think. That's what these, these Jewish leaders are telling Pilate. Like, hey, you have your job because you're supposed to be out here in the boonies, making sure no one overthrows the government. That's what Caesar hired you for, and if you let Jesus go, Caesar's going to find out about this, and then you won't have to worry about your job anymore because he'll fire you. 
and he may even kill you. So you can't let him go. You'd be no friend of Caesar. What are you going to do? You want to keep your job? You want to keep your life? Then it's going to cost Jesus his. And when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again, sat down on the judgment seat on the platform. That's called the stone pavement. It's now about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. And Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. This marks the end of our scripture reading, but I want to highlight Pilate's four attempts that we just read of how he dealt with truth and how he dealt with Jesus. And each one of these four attempts is just a little bit sideways. It's, it's not standing up for Jesus or, or moving towards the truth. It's governed by his own desire for control and keeping his position. And it falls a little short. And I think sometimes, though, as I have reflected on these four things, that they can be areas in my life, too, where I, where I don't necessarily want to deal with the truth or or stand firm on the claims of Jesus. And I hope that as we look at these today, we could be guided more towards the truth and away from some of these other strategies of, of avoiding Jesus' claim as truth. Here was the first one. When Pilate went to him and asked what the charge was against Jesus, and they said that he's a criminal, otherwise he wouldn't be handed over. Pilate's response to them on the next slide, take him away and judge him by your own law. Now, this is classic, just kicking the can down the road. Like, Pilate's saying, I, I don't have to judge him by your law. You, you go do it. You go do it yourself. He's denying responsibility. That's, that's Pilate's first attempt to deal with, with Jesus, to deal with truth. Just deny the responsibility. He doesn't have to do it. You guys go do it yourself. It, it kind of reminds me of, like, when kids are playing and, then things escalate, and then they bring their whiny voices to any adult that they can find of like, why it's their turn to play the video game or get the toy or whatnot. And for me, I often say like, you know, kids, you go figure it out yourself and just make sure it doesn't end up in a hospital bill, okay? Just go figure it out. Govern yourselves. I don't have to be involved in this issue. Now, Pilate has the ability to stand up to it and snuff it out right there, but he, but he doesn't. He just denies the responsibility. And maybe sometimes when we think about what truth is in our lives or we come across a hard time or find ourselves in some circumstances that we find maybe less than desirable or, or what, whatever, then it's easy to say, like, well, it's not my responsibility either. It's not my issue to really get into when... When maybe truth is, we're shying away in circumstances when we need to step into the light. That was Pilate's first attempt. The second attempt we read when he highlights the custom of releasing a prisoner each year at Passover. And he's like, do you want me to release Jesus? And so, so what he's doing here is he's deflecting. 
He's deflecting their request. He's like, yeah, okay, all right, we'll just like, yeah, you can say that he's guilty, but really, you know, now we get to release a prisoner. How about, how about we release Jesus? And he's just totally doing the, the change and deflecting off to a different thing instead of standing up for Jesus and, and addressing it right there. And sometimes there might be situations in our lives where, where we do a similar thing where we've identified what our problem is or we've, we find ourselves in a scenario where it seems like something's off, but, but we'll, let's not deal with the issue straight on. Let's, let's deflect. Like maybe a teenage son just rebelling or, or angry. But why? Is it, is it on him or is it maybe he's rebelling and angry because... There's an alcohol issue in the home. There isn't consistency or care in his life. Or maybe there's a daughter who's distant. And and why is she distant? Because she doesn't like mom and dad and wants to do her own thing all the time? And is it her problem? Or, Or maybe is she distant because of the constant criticism that she gets and can't do anything right? Sometimes there, there are little deflections that we offer when trying, instead of moving towards the truth and solving the, the deeper issue. And that's what Pilate has done here. He makes a third attempt. He has Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. And then they weave the crown of thorns, they put the purple robe on him, and they mock him. And, and Pilate may have been thinking, like, well, they want Jesus to die, to be crucified, how about we just give him a beating instead? Maybe that'll be okay. He he designs a different plan, is what he does here, to try to appease them. Even though that beating could still have left Jesus dead. According to the Jewish law, he could be whipped up to 40 times. Roman law, there was no limit to how many times he could have been whipped. We don't exactly know how many times they whipped Jesus. But we do know the beating could have taken him within moments of his life. And what Pilate has done here is designed this plan to try to maintain the status quo, please everybody, keep his job, while kind of trying to still spare Jesus or not have him be sentenced to crucifixion. And sometimes intentionally, and sometimes unintentionally, I design different plans in in my life that are apart from Jesus. Not that I'm trying to be a rebel, but but if I look, though, at the teachings of Jesus and and his ways and what is true, and then whether I'm not thoughtful about it or I don't believe or trust that maybe Jesus' ways are, are the best ways, maybe I have a better way, and so I design my own plan or way of living, whether it's you know, that decision in college of whether or not to move in with a significant other. Like, that's, it's clear what scripture says, but also, like, well, it just makes sense to save money. And what's the big deal anyway? Because, like, I, that's for other people. I, those consequences won't happen to me. And if they do, I'll be able to manage them or something. And, and I don't mean to highlight that as, like, to grandstand on that certain issue or anything. I, I just think there are times in our lives where we, we think, how I'm going to do it's how I'm going to do it, and, and I'll make it work. And then we get to that, 
down the path and we're like, man, I could use a U-turn right about now. I didn't see this, this coming. I think the new school year is a natural season to, where it's great. We design plans, maybe get into new rhythms and, and maybe, you know, if we're moving into a new house or getting a new job. At all these times, natural transitions in life when we can design plans. And what would it look like to design plans based on the foundation of, of the truth and, and Jesus and, and trusting what he says to be the best way and not what we think we need to do or who we need to please? I think it's a question worth evaluating and asking in our lives. Pilate has a fourth and final response. They bring Jesus out, and Pilate's sitting on this platform called the stone pavement, a real place, real pressures that he's dealing with. It's noon on the preparation day of the Passover, and he says to the people, look, here is your king. And I think it's an exasperated appeal for sympathy. Like it's not a commanding, look, here's your king. It's like, look at him. Would you you look at this innocent man? He's been whipped and beating. He's bleeding. He doesn't even deserve that. Here's your king. Is this enough? Can we have some sympathy for him here? Will you just let him off the hook? Will you not make me make the decision that you're making me make to crucify him just so I could keep my job? Can we just have some sympathy for him here and everyone go home? And sometimes these appeals for sympathy leave us short on the accountability that we have in a certain situation, whatever it is. You know, like I I think, like I could ask for your sympathy. Like, you know, it's really hard uh, raising kids. You know, my wife and I, we've got seven kids and and it is hard and I'm not perfect, but hopefully they'll still have all their fingers and toes and eyes and everything by the time they move out of the house. But like, can can I just have your sympathy because it's hard raising kids? You're like, yeah, Ben, I'm sure it's, it's tough. But what if I told you that what, what was really difficult about it, that the, the main problem was um, my anger issue and needing to be right all the time and control everything. And then that is actually the stem of a lot of the problems then of why it's making it more difficult to raise kids. Are you as ready to give me the sympathy now? Sometimes the appeals to accountability leave us or the appeals to sympathy leave us short on the accountability that we need to take. And, and just standing in front of Jesus, coming to him, all we are, acknowledge him as truth, and to be able to speak into our lives and to align our lives with that. To ask forgiveness where we need to ask forgiveness for and to make a bold stand where we need to make a bold stand. Whether you follow Jesus or not, he has made claims about being the truth and that what he says is true. And I believe everyone will have to make a decision about who Jesus is. And do you believe him as true? You can deny, deflect, design, or direct, make these direct appeals, but in the end, you must decide what to do about Jesus. Because he made the claim. John 14, 6, we'll skip to that scripture. 
As he told the disciples, he said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to experience the goodness of God, the grace, his love, and his mercy. It's when we're aligned with Jesus and, and his truths. And we learn about him as we go and we walk day by day, step by step with that faith of, of freedom of knowing that what Jesus has said is true. And if you've been following Jesus for 70 years or 70 seconds, it, it doesn't matter how long you've been following Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you will have to make changes along the way. Following Jesus isn't a set it and forget it type thing. We will have to make changes as we follow Jesus. Making a change as you follow Jesus doesn't mean that, that you're a failure and didn't have it figured out. It's just part of being human. It's part of following Jesus. You know, as I've been reading scripture recently, one of the things that has stood out to me, just jumped off the page more, more so in this season of life that I'm in than ever before, is the gentleness of Jesus. His humility and his gentle spirit and how he interacts with people. Even in the passage that we read today, I think previously I was just so attracted to like his command or it just seemed like I always knew what to do. But, but this is different for me now. His, his gentleness is so alarming to me in a way that's like when I evaluate my own life where I'm at right now, I'm not a gentle person. I, I'm harsh. I get upset easily. I'm probably more angry more often than I have ever wanted to admit. But seeing Jesus be humble and gentle, there is that personal conviction in me, but there's an incredible truth and grace in seeing that and, and being, to be able to ask for forgiveness and to be able to start to make that own change in my life, to be aware of perhaps a more gentle spirit instead of being harsh. And it's beautiful to experience. When, when you can experience that truth, there's a freedom in it and the love that comes from the Lord, but then also the experience of forgiveness from family members and helping, helping me to learn and grow and change as we follow Jesus. And so I don't know what you walked in here today that might be weighing on you or where you look for your truth. But one thing I do know is that these claims that Jesus has made, we have to make a decision for him personally of whether or not we believe him and if we want to live aligned according to those truths. And I believe that's the most exciting journey, one being lived with Jesus. I'm glad we get to do it together. It's such a blessing this morning, too, that we get to share in communion together. Actually, I'm going to invite the ushers forward at, at this time. They have the trays with the bread and juice, and they'll start distributing while I'm talking here, so that way uh, when I wrap up in prayer, you'll have some time of personal reflection. But, but don't miss this. Yeah, Jesus was crucified, but he didn't stay dead. Instead, he conquered death 
so that anyone who believes in him would be forgiven of sin and have eternal life. That bread represents Jesus' body that was whipped, broken, beaten. And that cup, that cup of juice, it's small, but it has some big, big meanings. That juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it's open table, grab some bread and juice as it passes by, you're welcome to that. The band is going to come up here in a few moments and they'll be singing the song and wherever wherever you're at with that, if you want to stand and worship with the band, great. If you want to stay seated, that's okay too. But as you hold that bread in that cup, spend some time in personal prayer and reflection on Jesus' claim as being the way, the truth, and the life. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, wow, you are awesome and you're so good. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you love us, God, all the time, no matter what. That wherever we might feel a sense of conviction today or if we're carrying guilt or shame, God, set us free. Wash over us with your grace and your love and mercy. Make it real to us. Let us experience your goodness, God. We thank you for your son, Jesus. He died for us on the cross. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.